1: Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us.
2: The anticipation of eternal life is what gives us hope as a believer in Jesus. It's also what frees us from something that torments a lot of people. And whether we would admit it or not, there's a lot of people, and perhaps this, this includes you, that spend, will spend a portion of their life under the fear of death, the fear of death. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Again, I'm reading from the Living Bible. Since we, God's children, are human beings made of flesh and blood, he became flesh and blood too by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die and in dying break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in that way could he deliver those who through the fear of death have been living all their lives as slaves to constant dread. Jesus came to give us the hope of eternal life. Jesus came to free us from the fear of death. And here is the question that you need to seek to answer in your life. How can you be sure that you are saved? How can you be sure that you're going to heaven when you die? Four things I want to lay out for you today. Let me say something before I give you these four things. Many of you perhaps who've been Christians for a a period of time in your life, these four things are not going to be new to you. But they are important to review. They're important for you to review for your own solidity of faith. A good foundation for your own faith. They're also important for you as a believer in Jesus to know so that you can share these with other people. Every Christian believer is called to be a bearer of the good news. The the preaching of the good news, the sharing of the good news is not just something assigned to the pastor on Sunday. Every one of us as believers need to be sharing the good news of Jesus with others, and these four points I'm going to share with you today will help you in that process. And it's also vital if you're not sure where you're going when you leave this life, that you listen closely to these four points today. Number one, first principle, salvation is not automatic. We sometimes fall into the trap of believing that that heaven is an automatic destination for everybody. Oh yeah, everybody that dies goes to heaven. It's not true. Heaven is not automatic. There are two final destinations, not just one. And these two final destinations, as I talked about last weekend, are very real. They're places of conscious reality, heaven and hell. The idea that everyone goes to heaven is generally fueled by two philosophies, two isms. Let me lay these out for you. One is universalism. Universalism says, well, Jesus died for the world. So after all, because he died for the world, everybody's going to be saved. It doesn't matter what they do. Everybody's going to sort of go to heaven. Not true, because that negates the reality of something precious that God gave you. That's called a free will, the capacity to choose. And so, no, not everyone That dies is going to heaven. Universalism is a false philosophy. It is a heresy. There's another ism. It's called pluralism. And pluralism is the idea that there are many ways to God. That it really doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you believe something. And you're sincere about it. Because all roads lead to God. No, all roads do not lead to God. Not all roads lead to D.C., And it's extremely important that we understand that there are not lots of different roads and lots of different ways, because God made it clear going all the way through the pages of the Bible, starting in Genesis and concluding in the book of Revelation, to weave into the story of humanity something called the redemptive story leading up to the coming of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And Jesus himself made this declaration in John chapter 14. He said, I am the way I I am the truth and I am the life. Please understand, there is a definite article there. He didn't say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Anyone who comes to the Father comes by or comes through me. Heaven is a destination, hell is a destination, and to get to the destination called heaven, there is a right path for us to take. Listen to me clearly today. I don't want there to ever be any confusion in your mind. Heaven is not automatic. There are, requirement, there's, there are entrance requirements for heaven. Here's your second principle today. You can't qualify yourself for heaven. What is heaven? Let's ask ourselves that question. What is heaven? Heaven is the place God lives, right? Right? That's where God lives. And so what is God's place like? Well, God's place is permeated by who he is. Just like your house reflects your personality. Okay. Well, God's place of abode reflects his nature. It reflects his character. And so, who is God? We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. God is holy, and God is righteous, and God is pure, and God is perfect, and God is completely holy. In heaven, there is complete obedience to the will of God. The last time there was any disobedience in heaven was a time when an angel by the name of Lucifer rose up against God and decided to do things his way and pulled a third of the angels with him. And he was cast out of heaven. We know him now to be Satan, the diabolical one, the one who is in fact the enemy, the arch enemy of God. And that was the moment he was kicked out of heaven. Why? Because heaven is a place where the will of God is always done perfectly. Look at this description of heaven in Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, the house of God? How can you get there? How can you live there? Who may stand in his holy place? Now here's the answer to that question. Who can hang out with God? Who can be in God's presence? Verse 4, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. Oh, no, all of us are in trouble. Who lives with God? Those that have pure hands, a clean heart, that have never lifted up their soul to an idol or never sworn falsely. Can I ask you a question today? Let's just be logical. Are your hands completely pure? Of course they're not. All of us have sinned. We all have stains of sin on our lives, of things that we've done. And so we can't, by our own nature, have pure hands. Do you have a clean heart? No, all of us have hearts that have been marred by sin. We've all had things in our heart. There have been times you've had anger in your heart, and resentment in your heart, and bitterness in your heart. hatred in your heart and all kinds of other things in your heart. We all have because we're human beings. Has there ever been a time in your life that you've lifted up your soul to an idol? Of course you had. There have been times in all of our lives where someone else or something else has been in front of God in our lives. It's called an idol. Have you, have you been a person who's never sworn falsely? No, all of us have been guilty at times of, of, of twisting the truth and not being completely honest with ourselves and God and others. And so we have these issues. And so if we're going to hang out with God, we're in trouble because we don't have pure hands and a pure heart. And we, we don't have clean hands and a pure heart. And we're, we're not free of idolatry in our lives. So if you're going to qualify to go to heaven, dear ones, yourself, you've got to be, listen closely, you've got to be completely holy. You've got to be completely perfect. You've got to be the person that never does anything wrong and is always completely right and righteous. And many of us try to make this excuse, well, maybe if I just do enough good things that will outweigh the bad things, sort of like there's a scale, if you will, with God. And I know that I do some bad things, but maybe I'll do just enough good things with God that that will tip the balance. And when I die, He will let me into heaven because my good outweighs my bad. No, that doesn't work that way because no matter how many good works that you do in your life, it still doesn't solve the problem. The problem is not with your external. The problem is with your internal. Because the real issue for our lives is not what we do outwardly, it's what we are inwardly. It's our, our sinful nature contrary to the nature of God. That's the biggest problem. So our outward stuff that we do comes from a heart that is unclean. Look at Romans chapter 3 verse 12. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. And Ephesians chapter two, beginning in verse number one, the apostle Paul is describing us before people before they meet Jesus. He's describing you and me right here in these verses. See if you can't identify of you in your life before you met Jesus. Once you were under God's curse, doomed forever for your sins. You went along with the crowd and were just like all the others, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air, who is at work right now in the hearts of those who are against the Lord. All of us used to be just as they are, our lives expressing the evil. Notice where within us, doing every wicked thing that our passions or evil thoughts might lead us into, we started out bad, being born with evil natures, and we're under God's anger just like everyone else. The bad news for us is this all of us are lost, all of us are helpless. When it comes to trying to qualify yourself for heaven, it's something that you and I cannot do. You cannot qualify yourself for heaven. It's impossible for you and I to do. We can't be perfect enough to to earn our way into heaven. Here's our third point today. And with this one, I'm hoping I get a little bit of a shout of hallelujah, okay? Because this is where the good news begins. Your ticket to heaven has been purchased for you. That's a fairly tepid response, but I need my time, so I'm not going to ask you to do it again, okay? I know you're just thinking about it, aren't you, okay? Your ticket to heaven has been purchased for you. You can't qualify for heaven. You and I couldn't get there on our own. There's not, not anything good that you could do that would earn you the way to heaven. Because even though you are doing good things, all of us have a, a heart that is twisted toward evil. And so we, we can't earn our way there we are lost and so people that are lost need to be saved they need to be found they need to be delivered and God loved us so much that he took the necessary steps to help us in our condition he looked down upon humanity and he realized and understood that we were helpless to get into relationship with him helpless to spend eternity with him and so God says I'm going to do for them what they cannot do for themselves I will send my only begotten son into the world who has never sinned, never will sin, and he will go to the cross and give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind so that there can be a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He came, dear ones, as our Savior. And what it means to be a Savior is it means that we were helpless and we needed to be saved the Bible teaches and humanity understands this that wrongdoing always calls for punishment right That's why we have the judicial system in our nation, that there's wrongdoing, and so wrongdoing demands punishment. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis in chapter 3, where Adam and Eve sinned against God, and the Bible says, so the Lord God banished Adam from the Garden of Eden to work the ground which he had been taken. So in other words, that was a judgment, if you will, for his sin. Wrongdoing always results in punishment. Sin is wrongdoing. That's what sin is. Sin is when you do something wrong, violating God's law, violating God's will. So sin is wrongdoing and it deserves judgment and it deserves Punishment. That's what the Old Testament sacrificial system was all about. In the Old Testament, you read about the sacrifices. That when someone was sin, they would have to go to the priest, and they would bring with the priest a lamb or a goat, a goat or some kind of an animal, and they would have to present that animal to the priest, and the priest would lay the animal on an altar, and that person would have to watch as that animal was killed, and the blood would tr- would tr- trickle down the side of that altar, and they would realize that that animal took my place. That animal took my place. And so here was the problem every time you sinned and violated God's principle. you got to get back to the priest again. you got to bring some offering to the priest again. And some life has to be taken over and over and over again, a visual representation of the fact that life is in the blood and sin deserves Sin deserves judgment and punishment. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus willingly came to the world and he died as the sinless Son of God for our sins. When Jesus went to the cross, he accepted our punishment. When he went to the cross, that was the altar. When he went to the cross and they stretched his hands out as we'll be celebrating on Good Friday and nailed his hands to the cross members of that cross and his feet to that cross, that vertical aspect of the cross, and when they When they pierced his side with that spear and blood and water came out, that was the sacrificial moment God placed in that moment, the judgment for our sins upon Jesus. And in that moment when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was this moment where God was separated from his son, pouring out judgment and wrath upon him. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. John the Baptist understood it when he saw Jesus coming one day. John 1 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You're going to heaven when you die. How can you be sure that you're going to heaven when you die? And Here's the thing I want you to see in this point as we're bringing up everything we've said to this crucial moment. Jesus offers the free gift of salvation for all, for all who sincerely put their faith in Him, accepting Him as their personal Lord and Savior. This is found in many places in Scripture, Romans 10, 9, and 10, wonderful passage that outlines how can you be sure that you're going to heaven when you die? How can you know that you have eternal life? Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. A lot of people say, well, I'll just try to do my best and hope I get to heaven by doing what the best I can do. And if I can just sort of stack up some good works in my life, then certainly God will be impressed with that. If I can be religious enough and do all the religious things, then certainly God will let me in heaven. All those things are good. You can go to church regularly and do all those things join a church, become active in church, you can be a tither, you can do all the great things that you can think about that a good religious person would do, but none of those things will ever get you to heaven because they're not sufficient. They don't change your nature. There's only one thing that can change you from the inside out, and that's when you come to that place to confess with your mouth, Jesus is now Lord of my life. Jesus is Lord. And I believe that he went to the cross and died for my sins. And I believe that God raised him from the dead because death could not hold him because there was no sin in him. And I'm confessing him as my Lord. I believe that God raised him from the dead. And I lay hold of this wonderful gift of salvation. Salvation is never earned. You cannot earn it. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift. And it's a gift that is offered to every person Here today. Every person watching online, every person around the universe, around the world today, that gift is offered. And the key thing with a gift, a gift is never your gift until you receive it. It's never yours until you take it. And that's the gift of salvation. And so many people are refusing that gift or failing to acknowledge or accept that gift. And that's the very gift that will get you eternal life. And so, my question for you today is have you? received the gift. You can't earn your way there. Have you taken the gift that Jesus freely offers to you? And that gift is given to you on the basis of two very important biblical words. It's given to you on the basis of mercy and grace. Say those words with me. Come on, let's try it again. Mercy Mercy and and grace. You don't earn it. You receive the gift on the basis of God's mercy on the basis of God's grace. So we need to understand those two words. Let's talk about mercy. Put it on the screen if you know what is mercy. Read it together with me. Mercy is I don't get the bad I deserve. That's what mercy is. Anybody that goes to a court of law and they plead mercy to the judge, they know they've done wrong, but they're saying, Would you please not give me the bad I deserve? I plead for your mercy. Mercy from God is that He's not going to give you the bad that you deserve. You and I deserve hell. You know what I deserve? Because of my nature, my rebellious nature against God. I deserve hell. I deserve to be eternally separated from God. But I'm thankful that God has shown me mercy through Jesus Christ. Anybody here today thankful for the mercy of Almighty God and the fact that in Jesus He is withheld from mercy? me the bad that I deserve but that doesn't, it doesn't stop there there's something else it's not just mercy but he also saves us by his grace what is grace answer the question here read it with me I get the incredible blessings and favor of God I don't deserve mercy says I'm not going to punish you grace says I'm going to bless you I need to say that again. Mercy says, I'm not going to punish you. But grace says, I am going to pour out my favor upon you. I'm going to pour out my blessing upon you. I'm going to let you be a part of my family. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside of you. I'm going to give you an eternal home in heaven. I'm going to bless you beyond anything that you could have ever imagined. So we're saved not by what we do. How do you know you're going to heaven when you die there's only one way to be sure and to do it the bible way and the bible way is confess jesus christ as lord believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead and you will be saved the question for you and me is have we done that and that leads me to my last point because if you've done that here's something that you need to be aware of you can be sure of heaven When you and I put our faith in Jesus, we truly repented of our sins, turned away from a life apart from God and turned toward God, we can be sure that we're going to heaven. I have people ask me, Pastor, after I'm saved, can I lose my salvation? How can I be sure that I'm going to really be saved? Can I lose my salvation? And my question back to them always is, why would you want to? Why would you do anything that would put... Your relationship with God in question. It's the greatest gift that you would ever receive, and so salvation is something that you are sure you can be sure of. When you're saved, you're saved. When you're saved, you have a God that not only saves you, but a God who is well able to keep you. You can trust the same Savior that saved you to keep you. Rest in the assurance of the fact that God is able to keep those who belong to Him if you walk in relationship with Him. John chapter 10 verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 1 John 5 verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope, but know that you have eternal life. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19, but the found, firm foundation of God of God has written upon it these two inscriptions, the Lord recognizes those who are truly His. And everyone who worships the name of the Lord Jesus must forsake wickedness.
1: Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you, you need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the Teaching Ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org.